Good morning. Are we ready to keep worshiping in freedom? Amen. Can you thank the worship team this morning for their word to us this morning? I could just go home. They said it. Well, this morning we are embracing that freedom. This morning we are embracing our freedom in Christ. And that is our posture this morning. Will you pray with me, church? Lord God, we confess that freedom this morning. Lord, we claim that we are free, free indeed in you. Free in you, Lord Jesus, and Lord, we want to proclaim that word today. God, would you give all of us voices to speak that truth, to speak that truth here in North Minneapolis, across our whole city, Lord, that we are free in you. So God, we embrace that truth and we ask, Lord, that you would, that you would speak through me this morning to share that truth of freedom, to share that we are, again, free in you, Lord Jesus, and we claim that this morning. So Jesus, we would ask that you would um, open our minds and our hearts to be attuned to you by your spirit, and may we confess again that we are free in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at the sanctuary in the area of family ministry. And it is good to be with you this morning. I hope that you have noticed that spring has finally come. Amen? Amen. And I hope that you notice some of the little details both inside and outside our church. Um, our first uh, second Sunday of the month, Sweat Equity, was yesterday, and we had an amazing turnout of volunteers. We had 20 volunteers here yesterday. Amen. And they did very important work. We got so much accomplished, and I know that these regular service days will be such a blessing for our congregation as well as our community as we seek to beautify this space. So a big thank you to our volunteers yesterday. Amen. And an especially big thank you to our Director of Operations, Executive uh, Director of Operations, Andrea Lee. Amen. She organized that whole day for us, and there will be many more opportunities to come to connect together as well as serve. Well, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series called Mission Friends, A Covenant Community. Now, this series will take our six affirmations as a denomination, and we will explore each of them over the next few weeks. And this series hopefully will illuminate our understanding of those core affirmations. It will also hopefully acquaint and connect us with our denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. Now many of you, like myself, probably did not grow up in the Covenant Church, and maybe you've never even heard of the Evangelical Covenant Church, our denomination, until you started coming to the sanctuary. And that is not an uncommon experience here at the sanctuary. So it's, of course, important that we understand these core affirmations but before we get into our affirmations this morning, I want to say two things. First, I want to note that we are going to, we won't be looking at just one passage of scripture, which we usually do. Instead, this is a topical sermon, so we will be reading multiple passages together. So get your Bibles ready, okay? Second, I think it's important this morning that we look briefly at our denomination's story and its identity. I think it's important for us here at the sanctuary to continue to ask how we connect with our denomination 
and how we can be a transforming agent as the denomination grows. Because multi-ethnic churches like ours are no longer quite as unique as they once were about 14 years ago when we first started. Yet our community adds a unique perspective and experience to the denomination as it grows. So in better understanding the Evangelical Covenant Church, often known simply as the Covenant Church, it's important to know that our denomination at its core seeks to make and deepen disciples of Jesus Christ who are engaged in Jesus' mission in the world. Now the Covenant uh, Church as a denomination has its roots in Protestant Reformation, specifically the Lutheran State Church of Sweden, and the, the great spiritual awakenings in the 18th and 19th century in that time. Now as Swedish immigrants uh, came to the United States and these spiritual awakenings were, um, these movements were blossoming, these immigrant, immigrant groups began Bible study. They began accountability and connection groups. And they were groups that called themselves mission friends. And they had a mission to spread spiritual revival and renewal. Now, if it's helpful, you can see a um, kind of a Christian family tree of sorts here. You see our roots there, and then the branches, um, we branch off from Lutheranism, um, and then you can see out to the covenant. Now, these mission friends, these fellowship groups, continued to spread and start churches. And then later in 1885, they established the denomination officially, in which we know, known as the Evangelical Covenant Church. And our name, Covenant, is important to us. First, it points to the significance we place on our relationship with God. We value deeply a growing, transforming relationship with God. Second, our covenant identity also gives a picture for our life together. Now, in the covenant, there's a lot of insider language. We literally have lists of acronyms. We have these historical quotes, which I'll share some later, and and different sayings that really embody our values. And one of those sayings is, better together. Now, at any given um, denomination-wide gathering, you can bet that someone will say, we're better together. Because our identity as a covenant people implies partnership, a mutual commitment, and a shared journey with one another. So our covenant identity points to our covenant with God as well as with one another. So given that broad picture of the covenant denomination, I hope it's clear that we are people committed to God and to one another. We are people who strive to live out our core values. So beyond understanding our history and how our name covenant informs our identity, its core values, the affirmations, uh, provide a foundation for our relationship with God and with one another. These affirmations are central to our beliefs as a denomination, so our denomination does not have this long list of doctrine. Instead, we have these six affirmations. And these six affirmations include, we affirm the centrality of the word of God, the necessity of new birth, a commitment to the whole mission of the church, the church as a fellowship of believers, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit and the reality of freedom in Christ. Now last Sunday, Pastor Dennis began our series in preaching on the centrality of the word of God. 
He spoke about how we must know and study the scriptures, obey and be formed by the word, and then teach and pass on God's word. Now together, we memorized Psalm 119, verses 103 through 105. Anyone remember? My pastor did this. A few, okay. A few of you. Well, we learned that God's word is so sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey, and it lights our path with God. That was a paraphrase, Pastor Dennis. <laughs> so that this first affirmation of the centrality of God's word is truly the foundation for all the other affirmations. And as I shared earlier, the covenant historically has various sayings that point to our values or our affirmations. And one popular saying is, where is it written? This was a common question of the early, early covenanters or the mission friends. They would ask each other this question in Bible study in their fellowship groups. And it pointed to the centrality of God's word and the path that it le- led and the light that it provides for the Christian journey. Now another popular uh, saying in, in the covenant was, are you living now in Jesus? This question asked by the founders of the covenant embodied two things. First, are you born again? Have you made a decision to accept and follow Jesus? Do you have new life in Christ? Second, the question sought to inquire about a Christian's ongoing journey of mature discipleship. Are you growing in your faith? Are you intentionally seeking God's transformation? Are you living now in Jesus? So this morning, as we ask ourselves that question, we'll look at the second affirmation of the covenant, the necessity of new birth. And as we look at this second affirmation, my prayer for myself, first and foremost, and for our whole church this morning, is that we would be tender to this truth. Tender to the freedom it carries, what we sang about this morning. Tender to its radical, surprising, and new truth. So often in a sermon on a foundational aspect of our faith, just like this, it can feel routine. It can feel ordinary. It can feel so familiar or habitual that we miss the weight of this truth. And in our effort to understand the the mystery of God's grace, we can sift down truth to a formula. And there we miss the complexity. We miss the distinctive character and even the extraordinary truth it is. So I pray we are tender to this truth this morning. Because this new life that we profess, this new life we see as a necessity in following Jesus is as simple as believing, yet it's as complex as loving our enemy. It's a faith that is simple as saying yes to Jesus, Yet it's as messy as continuing to say yes, even when things get hard. It's a journey with Jesus that's as simple as obediently saying yes and following in Jesus' footsteps, yet it's as painful as following him to the cross. So I invite you this morning into this journey, this journey that will fill us with hope, it will redeem us by grace, it will challenge us in every way imaginable, but it will also lead to abundant and eternal life. This is the journey that we're on in our new birth. 
So in seeing our faith as a journey, which is how we often describe it here at the sanctuary, we see the necessity of new birth is not simply one isolated decision. It's a journey. This journey of new birth largely is threefold. It's a journey that includes new birth, new life, and new community. New birth in our conversion experience, new life in our discipleship journey, which includes evangelism, and our new community, which requires us to do God's kingdom work by advancing the kingdom. So while I don't have a dramatic conversion story, I do have one moment that completely changed my perspective and started me on a path of lifelong faith. And it happened when I was in fifth grade. With one simple conversation with my teacher, my whole perspective in my life changed. Now, I grew up Catholic and also in a small town. So in our small town, you had two choices. You could go to the public school or the Catholic school. And my mom, being the devout Catholic that she was, she sent me to the Catholic school. Now, the Catholic school that I attended, uh, most of the the classes were taught just by regular teachers, though we did have a few nuns still then. And I don't think there are any left now. Um, they were pretty old even then. Uh, but one, one nun was our principal. And she was a woman who taught me how to pray consistently. She made it a point to gather all of the students, the entire school, every single day to pray to God, to share our fears and our worries and prayer. She taught me that God was loving and kind, approachable and concerned with me. Then our first grade teacher, she was the other nun, and she was absolutely amazing. She was far from the stereotypical strict nun that we often think about in our minds. In fact, during mass every Friday, she would dance up and down the aisles. She always knew how to get kids engaged in church, and she was indeed a free worshiper. Now, I have yet to see an adult dance in church with such freedom as she did, though. I mean, this morning it was pretty close, right? But we also had regular teachers too. Teachers who are committed to their Catholic faith as well as Protestants as well. And it was my fifth grade teacher, a member of our local covenant church actually, who told me something that changed my life. During a religion class, uh, she was teaching about Jesus and how Jesus was wise and loving and how he did amazing things for people. But she also shared how Jesus' love for us was so great that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Philippians 2.8 says. I realized the power of Jesus that day. I realized he died because he loved me deeply and wanted a new kingdom of peace and justice, and he wanted me to be a part of that work. Now I realized um, he renewed and restored me in a way that I didn't fully understand at that time. I realized that Jesus was a friend. As my teacher had shared, I simply needed to say yes. I simply needed to be obedient and say yes, I'll follow you, Jesus. So I began an important journey that day. Through that uh, journey, up until then, of course, there was, it was important. There were seeds that were planted in my conversion too. But I began a journey, a journey, a friendship with Jesus that completely changed the rest of my life, both here on earth and my eternal life with God as well. 
Now, many of us have a conversion story, whether it's something dramatic or maybe it's a new perspective of Jesus like mine, or maybe it's hard to even locate a specific moment or memory. However it happened, we certainly know that we have been changed by God, amen? We know that we have been changed by God, that we have this new life in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells and guides us now. Now, whatever, I, whatever story we may have, whatever story we, we bring, I think an important um, image that sustains many of us in affirming our conversion is the image of a conversion of trust in a loving parent. Now, whether it's the arms of an accepting father or the safety and presence of a patient and gracious mother, our image of God is often one of a perfect parent. So we might ask what we're converting to, or put another way, what entices us to convert in the first place? Well, I don't think it's the image of a wrathful, angry God. I don't think our conversion is of us being cornered by God and God demanding we follow or else. Instead, what entices us, what we celebrate in worship this morning, is God's love like a parent desiring a child to obey and go in a path of wisdom. It's the parent's safety, attention, and patience, and persistence that draws that child to obedience. Now, I love how the, the, this is illustrated in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Do you see the example of a loving parent there? God wants us to be obedient and holy, so he calls us holy. God declares our identity, God names our potential, and we live into that. Now, of course, Just as in real life and parenting, we may call out the good qualities in our children and they still make poorer choices. But we know ultimately they are enticed to do well through our connection with them. Now today being Mother's Day, we are so excited to bless and honor the amazing mothers here at Sanctuary, yes? Amen. Yeah! And we, and yeah, we, we, want to, we want you to know that we see the work that you do. That you do hard and beautiful, necessary, exhausting and relentless work in your mothering. Yet we also know that today is a complicated day. It brings many emotions for all of us. If you've maybe you've lost a mother or you had a difficult relationship with your mother. It can even be hard for those of us who are mothers because we celebrate and cherish our children here on earth, but for many of us, myself included, we mourn the loss of our children, maybe through uh, miscarriage or stillbirth, or children who passed away too soon. This day might also feel difficult because society's expectations of a good or a successful mother can feel so overwhelming. We continually feel inadequate. It is a hard day for many. 
So it can be easy for mothers and certainly all women in general to, to feel overwhelmed on this day. Again, our society places so many expe- expectations on us. And if we don't parent in the specific way, we are labeled in hurtful and very unfair ways. Now, when I think of God as a loving and perfect parent, enticing and drawing us to obedience, it stirs something in me this morning. It gives me hope that my desire to connect with my child before condemning them, my desire to understand and hear my child's voice before shaming their choices, that it has space. I see from God's example that there's space as a parent for connection before correcting. There's space to listen before I lecture. There's space for me to empathize and understand before I judge and condemn. I see God's example, God's character, drawing us to conversion and transforming us by grace. I see God as quick, quick to listen and forgive slow to anger and full of mercy. I see God welcoming me with whatever emotion I might bring, fully able to sit with me in that space. And as a mother, this image is powerful for me. So our conversion is to this loving God. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that God cannot be provoked by anger or or that a condemnation isn't real. It doesn't mean that God isn't grieving by our sin, but I believe so many of us are compelled to conversion because of God's perfect ability to care and connect with us. But we know our conversion to God is more than being forgiven. This new birth gives life to more than being accepted and loved by God. This new life, this new birth produces new life. So theologically, this is called regeneration. And spiritual regeneration is more than God's forgiveness. Spiritual regeneration means that we are completely a new creation. We are completely restored in Jesus, which is good news. Regeneration is more than just transformation of ourselves here on earth, but it's also transformation for eternity. We are restored and renewed for eternity, which is good news this morning, isn't it? We have new life for eternity. And that's the news that we can't keep to ourselves. This is truth that we have to pass on to others. Now in Matthew uh, 4.19, we often read the first three words in isolation. Come and follow me. And we stop right there. But we have to keep reading because Jesus says, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So the second aspect of our new birth is not simply to remain in our newborn state. Our new birth should yield new life. New life for ourselves and our journey with Jesus as well as making new disciples. Our new birth is about conversion as well as evangelism and discipleship. Now did you know that an overwhelming majority of kids from evangelical Christian families have never, have never heard their parents or their mentors' faith story, specifically their conversion. Did you know that? That completely shocked me. I mean, of all people, we as evangelicals, we should be experts in sharing our story of faith with our kids. Whether it's our biological kids or not, it's important to share our faith story because 
Sharing our faith story encourages what we call here at the sanctuary, sticky faith. We want our kids and us as well as adults to have faith that sticks, a faith that sticks beyond a season, faith that lasts a lifetime. And it's lifelong faith that we want to share with others. As Christians born again, we read the instruction in Matthew 28, 19. It says, Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And church, next Sunday, we get to do just that together. Next Sunday, as we gather as a church community, we will get to hear stories from children, youth, and adults. They will share with us their story of new birth. We'll get to see them profess their faith and be baptized and celebrate their new and eternal life in Christ. Now, four of those baptism candidates are children. In this past week, I had the opportunity to to talk to um, to them about baptism. And in our time together, we talked about how baptism is a symbol or a sign of our new birth, our decision to follow Jesus. And in our time together, we also talked about the story of Lydia and Acts. Paul evangelized to Lydia. Lydia, in turn, believed and was baptized. In fact, her whole household was baptized. But what we read, to, what we read together, um, in that group together, we read that the story of Lydia is not one where um, she didn't just confess her faith and was baptized and then went along her life unchanged. Instead, her new birth produced new life. She told others about Jesus and she was very generous with the resources that she had. Her life was changed and she sought to change others' lives as well. Our new life in Christ means that we make and deepen disciples of Jesus Christ. But the beautiful thing about our call to discipleship and evangelism is we don't have to do it alone. We have a new family that we belong to, a new community in God's kingdom. So our final point this morning is our journey of new birth. Our journey of new life includes a new community. It's collective kingdom work of God. Now it's important to note that um, this affirmation, the second affirmation in our denomination distinctly affirms our evangelical identity. Our affirmation of new birth in Jesus as an essential part of our faith journey and our mandate to then go and make disciples embodies that evangelicalism. But we should be uh, clear to make a distinction between our heritage and the characteristics of being evangelical with the affiliation of the political and fundamental evangelicalism of our day, and even history, for sure. Our evangelical heritage is situated in spiritual renewal and formation. Our evangelical uh, identity is founded on God's word and the mandate of Micah 6.8 to act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Our transformation in Christ requires that we live in a new way. Amen. Certainly not in the politicized evangelical way that is most known in our culture today. But our evangelical identity is actually so much different, almost an opposite, really, of popular evangelicalism. And I'll admit that I struggle in identifying as evangelical because of that as I know many of you do as well. 
And even some of my covenant um, colleagues have suggested that maybe we should just take off the evangelical part for our denomination. But of course, others say we can reclaim it, we can redefine it in our generation and our context. But regardless, regardless, I do believe that if we affirm new birth in Christ as central to our faith, which we do, then the act of confession and repentance need to remain at the forefront in our missional work. Specifically, white Christians, we have historically and still do use evangelicalism to demean and marginalize, to politicize and to betray others while also ignoring the communal aspect of our faith. Our evangelical identity is, is about building up God's radical kingdom, humbling ourselves and understanding that mission work together. So what should this new community, this kingdom of God look like? As I shared in the beginning, it's a simple yet complicated truth. It's the ordinary yet provocative truth of love your enemy, love your neighbor and your enemy. Be hospitable to your friend and the stranger. Seek forgiveness and forgive others. Speak words of love and speak up against injustice. Grow in your faith and share it with others and come and follow me and take up your cross as you go. Because the truth is when that Jesus saves you, you're not just saved from something. We're saved for something. Christianity is not a private matter alone. It is a call to a new community, a new worldview. So when we confess our, our, our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we also confess our commitment to building justice, embodying mercy, seeking Christ in humility all together in community. Our faith is not only individual, it's also communal. So next Sunday, we will get to celebrate again the individual stories of new birth through baptism. And as we do that, it's important to remember we also celebrate God's work communally among all of us as a church. Baptism is a time to uplift the individual stories of new believers, yes, but it's also a time to remember, to celebrate God's active work in our community. It's our chance to affirm our new life in Christ. It's a chance to remember what God has called all of us to do, our mission work together making and deepening disciples, as well as advancing the kingdom of God through compassion, mercy, and justice. This morning, church, I pray again that we are tender to this foundational truth of our faith, tender to the simple truth that we have sinned and we are in need of forgiveness. We look to that person and the work of Jesus Christ and we see in our acceptance of him that we are redeemed and we are uh, made new. And from that place of redemption, we, we are called to spread God's redeeming, transforming, and everlasting love. So I ask you again that simple question that covenanters have been asking one another for so long. Are you living now in Jesus? 
Have you been reborn, brought to new life? Are you sharing that story with someone? Are you seeking deeper discipleship in Jesus and in turn, discipling someone else right now? Are you on a journey of loving mercy and doing justice? Now as our praise team and our band make their way up in just a moment, friends, wherever you are at today, the good news is that we can bring it fully to God. Our faith is a journey and and God is with us on that journey always. And as Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be assured new life is always available to us. We simply must accept it. Now as we conclude, our prayer team will be available this morning. They are here to be with you, pray with you, listen, to guide you to that new life in Christ if that's what you desire. They'll be up front here to meet with you. But church, I hope that you will join us next week as we celebrate, as we celebrate the new life of our baptism candidates. So church, will you commit to praying for them as they prepare next week? Thank you. Church, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord God, this morning, God, we declare how glorious, wonderful, and beautiful your name is and your mercy. Lord, we say thank you. Lord, we say thank you for new birth, a chance of forgiveness and grace. We say thank you for eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we say thank you for eternal life. Lord, we ask that as a community that we would continue to proclaim and invite others into this, to your mission, to advancing your kingdom. Lord, would you make us agents of your peace, of your justice, of your redemption, Lord? Lord, would we proclaim your goodness? Would you help us be agents of transforming your world today? May we be obedient to you, Lord, as our perfect parent. God, we thank you for for saving us for your kingdom work, your new community to build a new radical world of love and grace. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.